0: In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, the midterm elections are about two weeks away, and these cries and warnings of Christian nationalism are on the rise. I talked about this last week, but I want to double down and talk about this particular boogeyman again. This monster in the closet, this monster under the bed, the boogeyman of Christian nationalism is going to get all of us. Is that what the Founding Fathers actually thought? I'm Dr. Ever Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning, and welcome to The Rebellion. Well, if you listened to last week's show, you know I covered this issue of Christian nationalism again. And I've spoken about it before. The reason that it caught my attention this time is that a scholar that I respect from my alma mater, Spring Arbor University up in Spring Arbor, Michigan, his name's Howard Snyder, actually is warning of Christian nationalism. It's one of his drums to beat, if you will. It's his one-string banjo at this point in time. Warnings of the boogeyman, the monster in the closet, called Christian nationalism. If we don't be careful, it's going to get us. That's going on not just from the writings and the speeches and the blogs and the posts of Howard Snyder, It's going on across the nation right now. You've heard the accusations that if you believe that the United States of America is a Christian nation, founded and grounded in Christian principles, if you believe a biblical worldview is the foundation upon which we built our free society, our constitutional republic, if you believe that, you're a Christian nationalist. And you are a bad person. You're the problem. You're not the solution. This is going on. It's pervasive in every sector and even within the church. And when I say church, I mean church with a capital C. The evangelical church, the Bible-believing church, the Bible-preaching church, Protestants, Orthodox, and Catholics alike are all being subjected to accusations of Christian nationalism, and those accusations are coming from our own, as well as the progressive secular left. So today, I want to deal with this issue of Christian nationalism one more time. I wrote about it in the Washington Times this past weekend, and I want you to listen to this, and then you decide, were our founding fathers Christian nationalists or not? Because that's the premise of my argument Don't dodge what I'm saying right now. Pay attention to the premise of my argument. I'm going back to the words of our founding fathers. What did they think America should be? What did they say our heart and soul as a culture and a country was? What did they say we needed to continue to be if we were going to Reap the blessings of being a free society and a free nation and a free people. Let's go back to their words. Not yours, not mine. No distractions, no rabbit trails, no, no non sequiturs, no construction of straw men here. Avoid the fallacies. Let's talk about what our founding fathers said. And then ask the question. Were they Christian nationalists, and was it a bad thing? Let's define our terms. Let's take a break, and when I get back, we'll go through what our predecessors, those that have gone before us, the wisdom of the past, what did they think about the Bible, Christianity, and religion in government? I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to the rebellion. Now, here, here's uh, what we're going to talk about. As I said in the introduction before the break, this boogeyman of Christian nationalism is hiding in the closet and everybody's warning that he's going to jump out and get you. If you don't, stay awake. You have to keep one eye open because that monster is on the prowl. He's going to get us. So with the midterm elections just a couple of weeks away, Again, these woke cries of Christian nationalism are again on the rise. We're hearing them from coast to coast. Everyone from California's dear leader, Gavin Newsom, to George Soros' sock puppet, Joe Biden. Everyone is warning that Christian nationalists are perhaps the greatest threat to our country, to the United States of America, to the democracy that we now enjoy. Uh, essentially, it's like they're out there shouting, beware of the heartland conservatives. These Bible-thumping rubes are dangerous. They're destroying democracy, and they must be stopped, or the next shoot of fall will be forced conversions and inquisitions and public floggings and the Salem witch hunts. That's what's going to happen if we don't stop these Christian nationalists. And then they go on, and they get a little bit more serious, and they say, Religion has no place in politics. Our founding fathers made it explicitly clear that America is not and never was a Christian nation. The Constitution protects us from these monsters of the church meddling in the glorious business of the state. Okay, does it sound familiar? A little hyperbolic in the way I'm presenting it, but that's really what's going on. So, here's what I want to do. At the risk of appearing just a tad pedantic, I'd like to suggest that all of those parroting this nonsense would do well to just go read a little bit. Now, I know some of the quotes I'm going to cite right now I already mentioned in last week's show. But I want to repeat them. Remember, repetition, repetition, repetition. So if you've already heard this, I want you to hear them again, and I want you to try to commit some of these to memory. And if you can't write them down quickly as I'm talking right now, then go listen to this show a second or a third time in the podcast version. Go to drEverpiper.com and then click on Podcasts, and you'll be able to find this show and all others archived there. I want you to remember what our founding fathers said. So let's start out with this. It is self-evident that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator. I've got that in capital letters, emphasis mine. Endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Who said that? Thomas Jefferson. You know, that deist that really didn't believe in a sovereign. God. Okay. We are endowed by our creator. God. That's what Thomas Jefferson was saying. Religion has no place in politics. It seems like it was in the cornerstone of our political system. And here's another quote. This one is from George Washington. May the same wonder-working deity who long since delivered the Hebrews from their Egyptian oppressors and planted them in the promised land, whose providential agency has lately been conspicuous in establishing these United States as an independent nation still continue to water them, the Hebrews, with the dews of heaven and to make the inhabitants of every denomination participate in the temporal and spiritual blessings of that people whose God is Jehovah. Close quote, George Washington. Apparently, George Washington thought religion had some place in the political system of America. Another one, John Jay, president of the Continental Congress. The Bible is the best of all books, for it is the word of God and teaches us the way to be happy in this world and the next. Here's one from James McHenry, signer of the Constitution. The Holy Scriptures can alone, alone. let me say that again, the Holy Scriptures can alone secure to society order and peace and to our courts of justice and our constitutions of government purity and stability. Again, James McHenry, a signer of the Constitution. The teachings of the Bible are so interwoven and entwined with our whole civic and social life that it would be literally impossible for us to figure to ourselves what life would be if these teachings were removed. We should lose almost all the standards by which we now judge both public and private morals. Almost every man who has added to the sum of human achievement of which the human race is proud, has based his life work largely upon the teachings of the Bible. Close quote, Teddy Roosevelt. John Adams said this, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people and is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Here's another one, another deist who really didn't believe in God, you know. He said this, I have so much faith in the general government of the world by providence, that I can hardly conceive a transaction of such momentous importance to the welfare of millions now existing and to exist in the posterity of a great nation should be suffered to pass without being in some degree influenced, guided, and governed by that omnipotent, omnipresent, and beneficent ruler. Who said that? You know, that D.S. that didn't believe in God, really. Benjamin Franklin. How about this one? I am perfectly satisfied that the Union of the States, in its form and adoption, is as much the work of divine providence as any of the miracles recorded in the Old and New Testament. Who said that? Benjamin Rush, signer of the Declaration of Independence. Here's another one. This is from Woodrow Wilson, another president of the United States, who said America was born a Christian nation, America was born to exemplify that devotion to the elements of righteousness which are derived from the revelations of Holy Scripture. Close quote. Woodrow Wilson again. McHenry, John McHenry, signer of the Constitution, said this, The Holy Scriptures can alone secure to society order and peace. In vain without the Bible, we increase penal laws and drop protections around our institutions. So he's saying that the Holy Scriptures, the Bible, is the source of order and peace. The Bible gives us a sane and healthy society. And all of our laws are in vain if we don't attend to the fact that they're grounded and rooted in the Bible. Again, that's a signer of the Constitution, John McHenry. Or here we have Thomas Paine, one of the least religious of all of our founding fathers. That's probably beyond dispute. But even the least religious guy said this, It is from the air of the schools that evil has generated in the pupils a species of atheism. Instead of looking through the works of creation to the creator himself, we stop short and employ the knowledge we acquire to create doubts of his existence. Close quote. Do you think maybe religion has a place in our schools? Apparently Thomas Paine, the least religious founding father, felt that religion, i.e. Christianity, a biblical worldview, had to be propagated in our schools. Otherwise, we're just looking to the knowledge that we acquire in and of ourselves to create doubts, and then we suffer the consequences therein. Here's another one. How about Noah Webster? He um, was the... He was recruited by Alexander Hamilton to lead the Federalist thinking. Okay? He was the lexicographer that was recruited by Hamilton to engage in this Federalist debate that took place in the Federalist Papers. Now Noah Webster said this, Our citizens should early understand that the genuine source of a correct Republican government is the Bible particularly the New Testament, close quote. It's Noah Webster of Webster's Dictionary, okay? Here's another one from Benjamin Rush. I already cited him earlier, but listen to this one. We err only because we do not know the Scriptures and obey their instructions. Immense truths are concealed in them. The time, I have no doubt, will come when posterity will view and pity our ignorance of these truths. Okay, that's another one from Benjamin Rush, again, a signer of the Declaration of Independence. Here's another one. Fisher Ames. He's responsible, by the way, for the final wording of the First Amendment. Fisher Ames said this, We have a dangerous trend beginning to take place in our education. We're spending less time in the classroom in the Bible, which should be the principal text in our schools. Close quote. Hmm. Again, Fisher Ames, the guy who did the final editing and codified in writing etched in stone if you will the first amendment said i'm going to repeat that one we have a dangerous trend beginning to take place in our education we're spending less time in the classroom in the bible which should be the principal text in our schools do you think maybe fisher ames felt that the bible should be taught in our schools <laughs> apparently so pretty clear don't you think and here, let's not forget some others. Samuel Adams. Just and true liberty may be the best understood by reading and carefully studying the institutes of the great lawgiver and head of the Christian church, which are to be found clearly written and promulgated in the New Testament. Hmm. Liberty? Justice? Are best understood by reading and studying the institutes of the great lawgiver and head of the Christian church. Who is that? It's Jesus, by the way. That's who he's referring to, Samuel Adams. Patrick Henry. This book, the Bible, is worth all the other books which have ever been printed. That's Patrick Henry. Here's Daniel Webster. To the free and universal reading of the Bible, men are much indebted for a right view of civil liberties. So our right view, our correct view of liberty, of freedom, of civil liberties. How do we live together as a free people? We are indebted to the reading, the universal reading of the Bible. That's Daniel Webster. Now, here's another signer of the Declaration who was one of the original Supreme Court justices, by the way. His name is James Wilson. Again, a signer of the Declaration who was one of the original Charter members of the Supreme Court of the United States, he said this, and I quote, "...human law must rest its authority ultimately upon the revelation contained in the Holy Scriptures." Close quote. So, do you hear anything in any of these quotes that would suggest that religion has no place in our education system, in our courts of justice, or in our general government, whether it be local, whether it be statewide or whether it be federal government. Do you hear anything in any of these quotes that would suggest that religion has to be removed from the public square? And you can't talk about the Bible when you're talking about government, because when you do that, you're a Christian nationalist. Do you hear that even being hinted of in any of these comments? Let's go back to that great deist, that guy that didn't really even believe in a sovereign God, Benjamin Franklin. He said this, "...the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel." Close quote. Doesn't sound much like a deist there, does he? Hmm. God governs in the affairs of men? Without his concurring aid, we're going to fail? That's not deism. That's theism. That's the belief in providence. That's the belief in a sovereign God, a God that's involved in the government of the United States of America. And if this list of quotes isn't good enough for you, uh, if you need more evidence, if you think it's still lacking because I'm cherry-picking my quotes, uh, maybe we could look to our nation's first public education law, which was enacted in 1647. Okay, our first public, not private, public education law enacted in 1647. It warned, and here I quote, it being one chief project of the old deluder Satan to keep men from the knowledge of scriptures. Close quote. So, our first public education law, the establishment of public education, public schools, said that we need to be careful of the old deluder, Satan, because his objective, his objective, is to keep men from the knowledge of the scriptures. Hmm. If you don't like that one, let's consider the Northwest Ordinance that instructed this, and I quote, "...religion, morality, and knowledge being necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind, schools and the means of education shall be forever encouraged." So what are they saying here? Pretty clear, really. Even though their sentence structure is a little bit different than the way we communicate today, they're saying clearly when they crafted the Northwest Ordinance that religion and morality are necessary for good government and for the happiness of mankind. And therefore, all of our schools and all means of education should forever encourage the teaching and the acquisition of religion and morality. You can't separate the two, is essentially what they're saying. John Quincy Adams, the sixth president of the United States, said this, I deem myself fortunate to bear my solemn testimonial of reverence and gratitude to that book of books, the Holy Bible. Calvin Coolidge, our 30th president, said this, The foundation of our society and government rests so much on the teaching of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. The foundation of our society and our government rests on the teachings of the Bible. And we can't separate those teachings from our government, or we would cease to be a universal country, a country that is unified. That's Calvin Coolidge. Well, how about another Supreme Court justice, Justice Earl Warren, the 14th Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States? He proclaimed this boldly, unapologetically, and I quote, I believe the entire Bill of Rights came into being because of the knowledge our fathers had of the Bible and their belief in it. Close quote. So, the point I'm making here is pretty clear, I hope. And that is when you hear somebody say, keep your religion out of government, keep your Christianity out of politics, when you hear somebody say that when you bring a discussion, of faith, religion, Christianity, a Judeo-Christian ethic, a biblical worldview, when you bring that into the public square and you engage in the political debate, when you want to be involved in a good argument, a robust exchange of ideas as to how we should best govern ourselves, and you argue that a biblical worldview is valuable to that discussion, and that our nation has historically been respectful of and incorporated that biblical worldview into the very codification of our laws and the writing of our seminal documents. When we say that, and we argue that we need to return to a respect for those principles, repent of the way we've been going and recognizing that it isn't going to end well if we keep ignoring the lessons of the past and ignoring the lessons of scripture that our founding fathers said were very important, in fact, necessary, indispensable to a free society. When you're accused of being a Christian nationalist for saying those things, I think the best response would be, well, are all these other guys Christian nationalists then? Earl Warren, Benjamin Rush, Fisher Ames, Benjamin Franklin, George Washington, Woodrow Wilson, Calvin Coolidge, Teddy Roosevelt? Are all of these other people Christian nationalists? Is that what you're saying? Well, maybe, just maybe, if they still want to make that claim, let's just end the show with this. Let's go back to what I started with, Thomas Jefferson. You know, the third president of the United States, the principal author of the Declaration of Independence. Another guy that all of the people on the progressive left, the woke and the righteous, even in the evangelical community and the the woke progressive Catholic community and whatnot, they want to claim that Thomas Jefferson really didn't believe that Christianity should have any place in the public square in the discussion and the crafting of government. No, Thomas Jefferson didn't believe that. He, he, would, he would clearly side with all of us who are warning of that boogeyman called Christian nationalism— Now, okay, so let's end the show with quotes from Thomas Jefferson. No nation has ever existed or been governed without religion, nor can be. The Christian religion is the best religion that has ever been given to man, and I, as chief magistrate of this nation, am bound to give it sanction. Close quote. I want you to lock lock on to that one. I'm going to read a couple more, but I want you to listen to that one. It's indisputable that Thomas Jefferson... Just said, no nation has ever yet existed or been governed without religion. You can't have good government without religion. He just said it. And then he says, the Christian religion is the best religion that has ever been given to man. And I, as the president of the United States of America, I, as chief magistrate of this nation, am bound to give it, what? Christianity sanction. Close quote. And then he said this. I shall need the favor of that being in whose hands we are, who led our fathers as Israel of old from their native land and planted them in a country flowing with all the necessities and comforts of life, who has covered our infancy with his providence and our riper years with his wisdom, and to whose goodness I ask you to join in supplications, that he will enlighten our minds and guide our counsels Close quote. Enlighten our minds and guide our counsels? What do you think those counsels are? Government. Guide our government. Who? That being in whose hands we are. That being in whose hands we are. God. His providence. His goodness. We need to join in supplication praying to him to enlighten our minds and guide our councils, our government. And then this is more from Jefferson. Acknowledging an adoring and adoring an overruling providence, which by all its dispensations proves that it delights in the happiness of men here. With all these blessings, what more is necessary to make us happy and a prosperous people? Close quote, Thomas Jefferson. So, religion has no place in politics? And if you argue differently, like I'm doing right now, you're a Christian nationalist. (laughs) If you argue that we are a Christian nation, not that everybody is a Christian or everybody is converted or born again or Bible-believing, evangelical, orthodox Christian. No. Nobody's arguing that, and nobody's arguing for a theocracy either. But to deny that we are Christian in our values, Christian in our makeup, Christian in our respect for the Holy Scriptures and the Bible as the pretext and the foundation for our constitutional republic. To deny that is crazy talk. Our founding fathers made it clear that those arguing for Christian morality in the public square are the heart and soul of our country. We're not dangerous. We're not dangerous Christian nationalists. So, don't allow people to go down this rabbit trail. The, the responses I get when I say this is, well, and then they go off in a different direction. They don't even acknowledge the quotes that I've just rattled off, and I could spend five more shows with such quotes. Force people to acknowledge the fact that our founding fathers, from the least religious among them to the most religious among them, all believed that religion was necessary to good government. It was indispensable to our freedom. And that that religion that was favored in the founding era of our country, and frankly, for 150 years or thereabout after that, that religion was biblical Christianity. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.